Welcome back to the Act 2 podcast, a podcast for the real-life working and non-working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. And as a reminder, Act 2 is a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter, of which this podcast is just one of the things that we do. So thank you for joining us here. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. That means you get updates on every time that we have a new topic, which is great. Uh, give us a rating, write a comment. It really helps us get kind of, you know, in front of people. Yeah. You can also DM us if you have questions or topic suggestions. Or you just want to tell us we're doing very poorly. You can do that at act2writers at gmail.com. All spelled out or on our Instagram and Twitter at act2writers. I'm there, Story Thursday on Instagram and threads, and Hasha 3.0 on Twitter. I'm Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram, and what, Tasha? You're giving me a look. No, I'm try- trying to get into get get into it today. Got my coffee. Those who are listening, quiet and early morning. Then our our podcast p- software just stopped working, and yeah. then and then just one thing after another. It's been one of those mornings. Yeah, but we persevered. Yeah, like like writing. Yes, powered through. You powered through. We're here today to talk about IPs. Yeah. What they are, why they're important. But before we do that, spec check. Spec check. Tasha, well, I kind of, I have a little bit. I I think I know where you're at with your spec. A little bit. Uh Uh-huh. Well, you you missed group last time, so this will be an update for you. Okay. First of all, just for the record. I missed group for a good reason. You did. That was not a it shot. An injure an injure injury related reason sent me into a sadness that I'm crawling out of, sort of. And uh I'm sorry I missed group. So do you want to start first first with the uh, spec check or should I go? You seem very excited and I <laughs> want you to go. <laughs> I shot it down and I apologize. <laughs> spec check. All right. I was flowing. I was doing some writing. Yeah. A little bit. I was I was I was I was doing some then I was struggling. I was then and then I met up with Dave Levinson and we sat down, had some margaritas, it, which helped me because I was still upset about my injury and I was I was sitting talking with him and in short, Dave and I who are gold buddies by the way, which you used to be a gold buddy but then you left us and I think we're still gold buddies. Was this a gold buddy meeting I wasn't invited to? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Because I feel like you just kicked me out in that case. For those also who are listening again, we have a thing in Act 2 called Goal Buddies. And Tasha pairs people up and you meet people. Or and In my case, Dave's just a friend of mine. And so we were Goal Buddies and then Tasha came in and we were all keeping each other accountable. And then this was like a couple of years ago. And then I remember I found out Tasha had like three other groups she was in. So I got kicked out for cheating. <laughs> no, no, you're still in it. But yes, yeah, so I did sit down with Dave and we and he we talked about some of the problems and the struggles, which were I was I kept going back into my act one. Like I'm I'm writing, but like I don't know if this happens to you, but I just know there is something wrong with my opening and my act one. And I'm like, I just know there is something wrong here. Yeah. And for me, I just I could not get past it. And I wish I was better because I, I I love to just power through and just be like, go, go, go. But um, in this scenario, like I was like, I know this could be better. I know this could be better. So I'd write a page or two. 
then I'd go back and just stare at my like first like 15 pages and be like, I know this could be better. And so I've been trying all these different iterations. So my point is when my spec is still coming along mm -hmm. slowly, but surely Dave kind of got me back on track. How did Dave get you back on track? He was like, dude, get back on track. I was like, you're right. So it was more like motivation versus like he cracked something story-wise for you? Well, he did kind of help. We talked through the opening and I still am not sure if it's right. At the time, I was like, that's right. I yeah. wrote it. Still don't know. Maybe I'll bring it back into group. But uh, we just plotted out the steps of like, okay, what can get you to the finish line? And so we mm -hmm. just talked about those steps and like how I can just get through it without going back and, and constantly changing. Okay. That's it. So I'm good. I'm feeling optimistic about the spec check. Yeah. Or the spec. And the spec check. I think that's mm -hmm. good. I think it's okay as long as you're you're still, there's still forward momentum. You're still working on it. It's okay if you're rewriting act one. Because as we've said so many times, and you say all the time, like, if you have a problem, it's usually back in act one. So you probably need to fix that before you even figure out how the movie ends. I just know it. Is it that you can't place what's wrong with it? So you're not quite sure what needs to be fixed? So basically my spec is that this couple need to get somewhere. Like the, the movie takes place outside of like their normal yeah. territory. It's like if we're in LA, movie takes place in Northern California. And I feel like I'm rushing because I'm just like, get the get out of LA. I just don't need mm -hmm. to be here anymore. But I've tried to do so much in this setup so I can justify them just getting out of Dodge. And it's just a lot of exposition that I'm trying to like show and not tell. Yeah. It's just figuring out the best possible way to show boring stuff. But I think you only think it's boring because you know you're going to Northern California. The audience doesn't know that. They're just sitting around enjoying the story you're telling them. You just think it's boring because you know you're going somewhere else that's cooler. I regretted saying that the second I said it. I knew you were going to say something. <laughs> that's my spec check. Because you know it in your head. Okay. All right. My spec check is I took my first act, act 2A, act 2B, to writer's group that I wrote over those four days I was gone. And I absolutely hated it. I prefaced what I was sending to group with, like, look, I don't need specific notes. I need to talk overall stuff. Like, what is this movie about? What are the themes that we like? Is the structure working for you? What scenes in particular are working that you love that like feel like the core of the movie and what can I get rid of? And it's interesting, one of our members was not going to be there, but we had dinner the night before. And she gave me her notes and I was like, oh my gosh, you've cracked it. And I was like, this is it. I don't even need to go to group anymore. You've cracked it. This is what the movie is. That feels really clear to me. And then I went to group and nobody had the same thought she did. And then when I oh. pitched what she, like the solve that she had, they were like, yeah, but then if you do that, then I miss this scene and this scene and this scene, which I really love. And I was like, oh. And suddenly I was like brought back because I thought I was going to have to like completely restructure my movie based mm -hmm. on this dinner before. But then after writer's group, I was like, okay, I can actually keep the structure, but lean into these certain themes or get to this point a little faster. And I was so inspired afterwards. I came home and again, it was a long group. So I got home at like 10 something Whoa. and just sat in bed and reread my entire script before bed sort of because I was like so inspired. I wanted to like relook at it and see what was sort of hitting me as I was rereading it. And um, 
yeah, I'm excited to get back into it. It feels now that it's almost done. Shit, I wish I was there. It was good. I couldn't have sat there, though. I would have been squirming the entire time. No, you, yeah, you hurt yourself. So speaking to the person who gave you the notes the night before, that I feel like that happens all the time. Like That's a really common thing where someone gives you notes and you're like, yes, because it's just something different. That's what mm-hmm. you want to hear. And you think that's the right thing. And then you just have to sit on it for like 24 hours and, and then it changes. Yeah. Did you write her and tell her they were all shit? She'll find out when I don't change it. <laughs> when she listens to the references. podcast? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm sure they weren't shit. She actually no, it really was a, great No, it was a good idea, <laughs> but it did take out a lot of scenes that I liked. And so I'm glad that people were feeling what I, the, what I currently have so I can keep some of the stuff that I love. All right. I'm excited. I'm sorry I missed it. I wish I was there to hear some of that. It's okay. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Should we get into this IP conversation? Absolutely. All right. Today, we're talking about <laughs> IP, specifically an article that Josh found over at our friends at ScreenCraft by Stephen Hartman titled, Is This the End of Existing IP Domination? It's just a dramatic title to which I am immediately said in my head, no, that's stupid. The article ended up being super interesting. So we thought we would talk about it. First off, Stephen starts with defining it. Like, what is intellectual property? Basic question, which is smart because we talk a lot about IP on this podcast, in this industry, with the assumption that a lot of people know what it is. But that may not be the case. There were, it may be unclear what constitutes IP. So... Let's lay it out. IP stands for intellectual property. It is material that already exists and therefore must be adapted. Like my show Tomb Raider is based on the video game IP that already exists. My show includes Lara Croft, the character that already exists, the title Tomb Raider, everything. It's that. It's that. Completely based on something that was previously created. Red Sonia, the movie that I wrote, is also based on a comic book IP. So... A comic series is also considered IP. Mighty Nine that I'm doing is based on a Twitch D&D show. That's also considered IP. So IP simply means it already exists. And there's a joke that I had in my head that Stephen actually talks about in his article, which is that even the Bible can be considered IP in the film industry. And I remember one exec recently tweeted that or something and got a lot of shit for it online. But... uh, (laughs) That's how we roll here in Hollywood. <laughs> Can I just say why I'm really excited to talk about this? Please like, do. It, it's it's as if I'm like pitching you. Why well, I'm excited. We kind of touched on this and we're going to get into this uh, while we talk about this. But with Barbie and this past summer, and we talked about kind of like looking at IP through a different spectrum. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think this article was so appealing is because I think, you know, taking the Transformers movie. I do not mean to jump ahead in this, but like, you know, you think of like a very basic title like Transformers and you're like, all right, well, that movie's going to be about Megatron or whatever other bad Transformer is coming to Earth and some person is going to team up with the Transformer and they're going to take them on. That's that movie. And then Bumblebee kind of did a different take, a little bit, you know? And so I think I'm I'm just happy we could talk about this because I do think that the IP structure... Might be changing a little bit and, and mm-hmm. just uh, we're getting a little bit more creative with IP. I agree. And that's ultimately the thesis of all of this. So you did jump ahead. 
God dang it. Let's Spoiler just. Spoiler alert. Yeah, Men in Black, which was not an IP. Maybe it was. I don't know. Just forget your memory. and and, and... But yeah, that's it. I, I got really excited about this. <laughs> it is. It's really exciting. But let's talk about like why IP even is such a big deal. Like why execs even deign to call the Bible and okay. other such things IP. And Because here's the thing. Chances are you've heard of Tomb Raider. You may not have ever played the game like Josh Hallman huh? or even seen the movies like Josh Hallman. Oh, please. I've played every game. I've seen all the movies. <laughs> but you've at least heard of Lara Croft. And Tomb Raider, right? I think she pervades pop culture. Absolutely. She's, yeah, which is great. So now, if you think of it from the studio side of things, you've already heard of my show. So they can do absolutely no marketing at all. But if you log into Netflix and you see a Tomb Raider animated show, you're going to go, oh, I've heard of that. (laughs) And the likelihood of you potentially clicking on it just to be like, I wonder what this thing is because I've heard of it already. Fairly high, simply because you've heard of it and you want to find out more. But on the even more important end of that, you bet your ass that studios also know exactly how many fans of Tomb Raider there are in the world, right? They know how many units of the video game have sold. They know how many people went to go see the movies. And from those numbers, they can then safely guess how many people will just automatically go to Netflix and watch the Tomb Raider animated show because those people are just automatic fans of the property. Mm-hmm. Guaranteed, well, near guaranteed audience and of course their money. But also from the business side, as Stephen notes in his article, is that having this kind of near guarantee also means it's easier to get investors to put money into your movie or your show. So if you do need additional partners to fund the production of this, Asking them to fund Tomb Raider will be easier than asking them to fund Josh and I's action movie that we're writing together that's mm-hmm. based on nothing that no one's ever heard of that no one may care about because we, we just don't know if they will. Yeah, until they want a sequel. <laughs> Which is why when they say making original movies is a risk, <laughs> this is what they're talking about. If someone tries to go make our movie, Josh, they have no idea if people would care about it. Like, they may care about it. They may be like, this is a really killer script. It's so good. But no one's fucking heard of them, um, of the characters that we write, or we wrote in the script. No one has heard of us. They can't even say, like, the newest movie from Josh Hallman and the brains of Josh Hallman and Josh Hugh. They can't even do that. So it is a risk to, to put this out from a, a business standpoint. Way to, way to kick me while I'm down, Tasha. Yeah. No one's ever heard of you, Josh. <laughs> yeah, it is a risk. It is, it is pretty wild that there is an established number that people like any, like any, not just Netflix, but anyone would be like, okay, we're going to get a minimum of 4 million people watching this, yeah. uh, you know, Tomb Raider or whatever. I'm making that number up, obviously, or whatever uh, IP there is. Oh, Jurassic World. Let's put a cartoon out. There's going to be at least 10 million people who click on this. Because yeah. it's Jurassic World. Then Steven goes into IP fatigue. Mm-hmm. Now, Josh, I know you have an opinion. Do you think there has been IP fatigue? Yes, I do. I think there's been IP fatigue. I, it's a weird thing because I'm going to take Indiana Jones, for example, which I really enjoyed oh, oh the last movie. Yeah. Like, how cool would it be to have a sub character set in the Indiana Jones universe? Okay. 
And then at some point, a new, like it ties into Indiana Jones in the future. My point being is we have to keep rehashing characters, not necessarily the IP. Yeah, I guess you're, you're rehashing the IP with the main character. And sometimes the movies aren't as great as they want them to be. I don't, I, I, yeah, there's fatigue. That's in short, there's fatigue. It's kind of, my mind's going in a million different places because it makes me wonder if people just want Indiana Jones or do they want the IP of Indiana Jones or are the, are they the exact same thing? Do you mean they don't care? I mean, and when we say they, we're talking about audiences don't care what Indiana Jones they get. They just want to live in that world. Or are you saying, what are you saying? I'm saying that people only care about Indiana Jones and the character Indiana Jones. Whereas I wish it were like, there's a really cool world in Indiana Jones where these things exist, where these other characters exist, where Marion exists, where maybe their child exists. And I personally would like to see movies about those characters. Yeah. But everyone wants to see Indiana Jones. Yeah, I am part of that group. We've talked about that when we did the Indiana Jones episode. Uh-huh. But you feel like there's a spinoff potential that doesn't include Harrison Ford. And I said, as soon as there's no Harrison Ford, I'm out. Of course. It's actually kind of like what Star Wars is doing. Like there's just, it started as the Skywalkers and now it's branched off into the Star Wars universe. Yes, but Star Wars is different because Star Wars is a universe. Star Wars, it feels like there's that Luke and Han are a small part of a much larger story. Careful. Whereas Indiana Jones, Indy, mm. is the story. That is true. If you take Indy out, it's just World War II and the Nazis. Okay, that's accurate. But to go back to your original question, I do think there's fatigue. I just think we've rehashed, and this is just the state of Hollywood right now, which is a little scary. Yes. So, Stephen brings up how Fast 10 made $700 million worldwide, but that 80% of that came from foreign markets. And while that sounds like a lot, he compares it to the eighth Fast and Furious movie, the ninth having been a COVID movie, the eighth Fast and Furious movie, Fate of the Furious, pretty good title, which came out in 2017, made $1.23 billion worldwide. So that is a pretty big um, discrepancy between 700 million. He also throws in the Marvels in there, the new Marvel movie coming out with Captain Marvel and Ms. Marvel and... Yeah. Which is not tracking well and talks about the overall Marvel fatigue people are feeling, which could feel like a whole episode, so we're not going to even get into that, I feel like. But it is sort of indicative of the larger problem, which is that... You can make IP and phone it in because you know people are going to just automatically go see it. Like you said, 8 million people are automatically going to go see this movie and we know those numbers. So like, let's not spend a lot of money on the writer. Let's not spend a lot of money on the VFX and production because who cares? People will go see it. The problem is, is that audiences aren't as stupid as people like to think they are who are making these movies and they can tell when less effort is being put into things. Less effort in terms of production, but also in terms of like trying to create something new and original and emotional and all of those things. Like you mentioned Blue Beetle a few episodes ago and how you really loved the character story that was in there, but kind of wish that that character story was more of the movie. And I Mm -hmm. remember the experience of watching those trailers was the first one 
felt unique. It felt like, oh shit, I'm going to see this cool family story with characters and actors that I really love. But then the second trailer was, oh, this is just Iron Man meets Spider-Man. And I was like, oh, well, I've seen those. So I know what's going to happen now. Why am I going to spend my precious money and my precious time to go to a movie theater and watch something that I already know is going to end a certain way? It's going to have a midpoint that's a certain way. There's just no point to that, right? Sure. But even with IP fatigue, and this is why I reacted to the article at first being like, this is stupid. So apologies, Stephen, because you're right. He goes on to talk about how IP has always been extremely popular. And he mentions how 100 years ago, the top two highest grossing silent films were Hunchback of Notre Dame and The Ten Commandments. Both, of course, based on properties that people were already familiar with. Batman started as a comic book in 1939. We just saw Robert Pattinson in a Batman movie. It's still extremely popular. And I go back to Shakespeare, who even his most famous plays were based on plays that already existed. He just made them better and he made them more relevant to his particular audience. I'm going to just stop and tell you, because I'm still thinking about Indiana Jones and what Uh you said. I'm just saying, Batman, albeit a comic. Yeah. It's based on Batman, but there is a spinoff world of Batman. And I feel like that's what Indiana Jones needs. But in that version, you're saying you're going to have George Clooney now as Indiana Jones? No, no, no. I'm saying like, I guess I'm because getting ahead. every hang. Batman, there's still a Batman. God damn it, Tasha. All right, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so all of this to me becomes a lesson. So let's say there's a version of Tomb Raider, the animated show, that completely phones it in, that says, you know, there's an automatic fan base over there. There's 9 million people or more who bought the last Tomb Raider game. So we're pretty much guaranteed that audience is going to show up no matter what. So let's just kind of do a fan service show and hire cheap people and make it cheaply. Fans will be happy. They'll eat anything we feed them. Mm -hmm. And honestly, for a long time, this is how studios viewed particularly nerd IP. A lot of these kind of earlier adaptations were garbage because studios didn't understand why they were so beloved by millions of gamers and nerds. They just knew they were loved, and so they saw a business opportunity. But right now, I think what we're seeing is, which is amazing, is we finally have writers and directors and even some studio executives, some, who are legit gamers and nerds themselves. So like when I approached the Tomb Raider property, it was never like, let's fan service this. It's as a writer, I knew this was something that I had grown up with. I approached like a fan, right? This was pivotal in my life. I played every game. I cosplayed as this person. So I approached it as what would I love to see Lara Croft do and say and think. And then purely as a writer from a writer's standpoint was like, okay, how do I approach this so that I make this a dramatic and complex character? How do I make the audience cry and laugh and stress out over what they see on screen? And to the credit of everyone else on the project, they were never like, let's just, just, it's why we don't have to try this hard. Yeah. Right. There's 9 million people who will see this. It's fine. They were like, how do we push the envelope? How do we keep pushing and pushing and pushing? And that's what you need. But if you have an IP that already exists, to not let it die on the vine and just be another IP that fails, 
I think now you really finally have to make it a good movie. <laughs> I'm going to just come in with a counter. Oh, shit. Hit me. Rogue One, a Star yeah. Wars story. Yeah. From what I understand of that that whole thing is that uh, Gareth Edwards was the director and then um, Tony Gilroy came in and did mm-hmm. revisions. Yeah. And he made it his own thing. And I remember seeing an interview with him where he was like, I don't know anything about Star Wars. Yeah. I just came in from like a character place. It's both a counter and not because Tony Gilroy, he, I mean, he talks about that with like every, <laughs> we were like the Bourne movies. He's like, yeah, I didn't never read the book. But he comes at it from a character standpoint, as you even said, the story standpoint. So he, no matter what, you, you give him the characters, you give him Lara Croft, he's going to make a killer Lara Croft movie that's like about a really good character. And there may be people who are like, Ooh. hey, here's some, like, you, you kind of strayed from the core of it. Like, can you throw this? And he'll be like, yeah, sure, absolutely. And then he'll, he'll do, but he'll do a really great character movie. So the difference, I think, what makes it bad is people thinking they don't have to service the character stuff because all the fluff of the IP is what people want to go see. Like, just having Mario be in the world of Mario and seeing little mushrooms and the princess and just like seeing these little Easter eggs should be enough for the fans. Just give them that. Yeah. But no, they like chose to make like a nice brother story with, with Mario. Say with like the Lego movie, for example, that movie could have been fucking anything. And they chose to make a really great character movie in the first Lego movie. Like, do you think you would have gotten hired for Tomb Raider if you were like, I'm not a fan, but here's what I'm going to do. Character, character, character. Like, I guess what I'm getting at is younger upcoming writers have to kind of be fans of the IP, whereas someone like Tony Gilroy, established freaking awesome heavyweight, can just be like, I know what I can do. I'm going to make this great because of the character, but I don't know this stuff. I don't think so. I've definitely written on IPs that I wasn't originally a fan of, but after watching it or reading it, I knew what the core of the story was and pitched to that. And so I think that if I was not a fan of Tomb Raider, I would have done my due diligence. I would have like watched a walkthrough of the most recent one, maybe read vaguely what it's about because otherwise how can I create a story? And then would have come up with, you know, my character driven version of what this is. And I think whether I was a fan or not wouldn't have mattered if they saw that my story was good and I was taking yeah. Lara in a great direction. I still would have gotten the job. I think the sort of icing on the cake was I told a really good character story and I was also a fan. So they knew they were in extra good hands because I wasn't, they weren't going to have a problem with me not going off the rails on the property, basically. Okay. So I don't, I don't think you do. Sometimes, oftentimes, studio execs will say, you don't even need to look at the property. I remember that a lot at Universal when I worked there. You don't need to look at it. Just what do you, what do you want it to be? And the chances are you you may come up with a Tony Gilroy story. You may. If you're really, really great like Tony Gilroy, you may come up with something that's just so fucking good regardless of what world it takes place in. But chances are you're going to miss the core of what this thing even is. Sure. Yeah, you're right. Because if, for instance, someone was doing a Back to the Future movie, oh my gosh. TV show, yeah. and I found out that the person who's creating it like wasn't even a fan, I'd be so mad. Yeah. I'd, I'd lose my fucking mind. You lose your mind. Yeah. But then what if it's good? What if you're like, fuck, they nailed it. Like, 
why am I a fan? <laughs> and it happens. <laughs> it totally happens. Which is, I think, the lesson is that you approach these things, yes, as a fan, but most importantly, as a writer of character and drama. Yeah. And and that that's kind of what brings me to the turning point in this philosophy that has come up, which is with Barbie, as you mentioned. I think Barbie could have been and probably was in early iterations before Greta Gerwig got involved, just a very obvious, lame movie about some hot air hot head blonde, right? Mm -hmm. And Greta Gerwig came in and she had a point of view with something to say, with personal feelings about what Barbie is and what it meant to women. And she completely transformed what could have been a forgettable, dull, dead movie into this phenomenon and she has this amazing quote which i could not find again so (laughs) this is the essence of it but it was that yes i knew i had to make a movie that did big business right i had to make sure this movie was marketable and that it sold a lot of barbies but that doesn't also mean that i couldn't make it good and i couldn't make it meaningful and i think to me that's the secret to IP as creators is that you can't take for granted that it's an easier sell just because people know it. You have to pretend like nobody's going to go see your movie. Nobody's going to go see Tomb Raider. They don't give a fuck. You have to write it the way people write specs, that nobody is going to see it unless it's great, unless it's special and surprising and emotional, that you can't phone it in. And I think we're starting to see a turn in that. Not that we haven't, of course, seen really great IPs um, adapted in the past, but but yeah, stop it, talking now. No, no, no. It feels like Barbie's a bit of a turning point. It really yeah. does. And and going back, I was thinking about the Lego Movie, and like that weirdly felt like a turning point. hundred I mean, percent. I remember seeing that and being like, that was the most unique movie that I've ever seen, mm-hmm. and it's based off of Legos, and and so. <laughs> And I actually think kind of changed movies like from from Lego movie, which, of course, I'm blanking out of like examples, but it just felt like it just made things different. Like the way you can look at Legos or um, Jenga blocks or Candyland, any of these things, it can just really shift the way you look at them. And with Barbie, yeah, I mean, I hope here's the problem. I'm I'm thinking about Marvel, right? And Marvel, actually, I I will say Marvel kind of gets a little unique. I feel like more so than like DC has with like their directors and some of the choices they make. But the benefit of Barbie is that it's completely open. It can be anything. Something like Star Wars or Marvel. They already have these comics. There's there's a story written. So you almost kind of need to stick to that in in a sense. Like I guess what I'm getting at here is there's different types of IP. There is IP that is an open book. Go run wild with this, Tasha. You have uh, the next Barbie movie or whatever. You know, you have exactly. this this concept and you can just go crazy. Jenga blocks. But like with a Marvel film, you're like, okay, this is leading to the Avengers getting together. So <laughs> we need to kind of work within this, within this sandbox. Yeah, and both have completely unique challenges. Like it's not even that one's easier than the other. They're mm-hmm. both extremely hard, but in very different ways. Yeah. Like if you just came to me and you came to Josh and said, 
you guys come up with a pitch for Barbie, our pitch will be so different. And unless we're passionate about like, unless kind of like we talked about last week, where unless something sparks in you very early, we're probably going to have a shitty fucking pitch and it's going to be such an average movie. Like I feel like Greta probably from very early days or she had a breakthrough at some point, like finally was like, oh shit, this is what the movie is about. Now I know what to write to. But if you gave me the Barbie movie, I didn't play with Barbies a lot growing up. So like, I don't have any personal feelings to it. It would be hard for me to find a passion in it enough to make this a unique movie. Yeah. But you give me Marvel and there's some kind of outline in a way of major like plot points and character moments that I need to hit or like a very basic kind of character creation that exists already. And I say basic not because the comics are basic, they're they're complex and they take characters everywhere. But usually when you're given a comic book, they say kind of take what you love and leave the rest. And a couple things are iconic that you have to hit. But let's hear what your take is, Josh. Like, if you want to go completely bonkers with this, like, let's hear what that version is. Because essentially, we just have to keep the core of what people love, and it can be anything. So there, it's <laughs> very different struggles. While you were talking, I was thinking what my Barbie movie would be. Yeah. And it would probably be like Mr. and Mrs. Smith with Ken and Barbie. That's amazing. <laughs> and I was thinking like, yeah, it'd probably be that. But maybe another day. I'd watch that. That's funny. So that's, I mean, that's kind of it. That's that's sort of the article. It's, it's hey, IP has been struggling when it's not really exceptional and unique, when it's just another installment and a long line of installments. And yeah. kind of Stephen's pitch is that we need to get more creative and we need to do what Barbie's doing, what Oppenheimer's doing, and, and finding, if we're going to use IP, Pretend like it's original, basically. Take interesting risks with story and be unique. And that's that's super, that's super important. And I think like from a writing standpoint, that's sort of the lesson if you were to take one off of this episode. It's if you are embarking on a project that's based on IP, find your passion. Don't just write what you think the IP should be or what you think the audience wants. Find something that inspires you in that and write to that. Yeah. And find IP because everyone still loves it. It's comfort food. It is. And it'll make executives feel nice and warm inside. Yeah. Small, small tangent story related and then we'll be done. I wrote a thing, the woman, if you recall, that was just its own fantasy thing. (laughs) And when... People who actually read it who are in the business and not just in my own head, they were like, this is great, but it's really expensive because it's fantasy, it's period, it's got horses in it and fire and all these things. No one's going to buy it unless it's based on IP, which may or may not be true, by the way. Someone could just love something and uh, putting that aside. But the odds are greater at selling something, especially if you're an unknown person, if it's based on IP. So we kind of reverse engineered it to be based on Arthurian legend. And A, just want to mention that that happens all the time. (laughs) Uh, Reverse engineering things. And you'll often hear managers or agents being like, this is great, but can we somehow find an IP to say this is based on, even if it's technically not? Last thing. I was just thinking of, because I was actually working on on something 
and it was based on real life events. Yeah. And so there's like a way to hijack IP and be like, you know, this was based off of um, this meteor that hit in Arizona. That's true. And, and it could just be that like, oh, this meteor hit in Arizona and this family freaked out, thought an alien was in their backyard. You can yeah. make up all that alien stuff. But if it's based on this meteor hitting someone's backyard, you can say it's based off of like an actual event. Yeah. What's interesting about that, because that version of IP is not, oh, there's a guaranteed audience who's, who knows about the meteor mm. and are going to go see that movie. But it's more like the studio feels comforted by the fact that this is based on something real, tangible, that's already naturally dramatic. Right. And therefore, right, right. there's like a comfort there's like a comfort food thing, as you mentioned, like, oh, OK, this is not just from Josh's brain, which is totally untested. And we have no idea if that's good or not. This is based on something real. OK, OK, I feel good about this. Right. Yeah, that's where my brain went. I was going into like executive studio. How can I get something made mode? Yeah, that's a really smart way of remembering that IP can just exist anywhere. Just make up IP. That's so weird. IP is weird. Anyway. OK, that's okay. it. The IP talk. It. Be creative. Yeah. All right. Quote of the day. Think character. Think plot. Think theme. But when you sit down to write a scene, feel. Greta Gerwig. <laughs> <laughs> Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act 2 Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday uh, on Instagram and threads or Twitter at Tasha 3.0. I'm Joshua Hallman on Twitter. X Josh Hallman on Instagram. As always, the Act 2 podcast is a production of Act 2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist. Mm-hmm.